it really is about the empathy element as well. We all go through our ups and downs, and I think it's important to be able to talk about things and know where you have people and, and also know, let them know where they have you. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. On this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, I talk with Marta Sjögren, partner at Northzone and one of the many excellent speakers we'll host at SaaStock on Tour Helsinki on May the 23rd. Marta has been with North Zone for almost six years. In that time, she's grown from associate to partner. North Zone is one of Europe's oldest VC companies and as such has had the chance to invest in some of Europe's biggest names like Trustpilot, Stepstone and Spotify. In my conversation with Marta, we cover a lot of the valuable lessons that lay in Spotify's story that can be applied to B2B companies. Spotify had an incredibly fast track path from Series A to Series B, banking a total of 25 million in less than three years while still remaining a high-risk investment, which was mitigated on the user acquisition mostly observed in the home market of Sweden. Listen on to hear what it means to be a born global company and how the home market should be used. Nordic companies, we call them born global as they use, you know, their, their first step is usually to just test the product and really, really polish that product. It's strong product culture out here and only then start expanding as opposed to commercial aggressively uh, building commercial operations beyond a small low-cost base market and then seeing that the product market fit is not really there and then having to scale back. Key lessons from Spotify's pricing and packaging. The two core lessons is know who your immediate addressable market is mm-hmm. and then find the next steps out you know, uh, in, in a logical order. Um, and then from there, develop pricing, develop a go-to-market so it's the most efficient possible way. The secret to scaling successfully at Spotify. Uh, so it's all about making sure that you've prepared to scale, uh, that you have the right people that can onboard people and then equally offboard them when they're not working out. So you don't have this like behemoth of a, of an organization that just kind of is is dependent on a couple of core people. At SaaS Doc on Tour Helsinki, Marta will host a fireside chat with the CEO of Happy or Not, one of her portfolio companies. On the day, she'll be joined by a roster of exciting speakers such as David Cancel, CEO of Drift, Joyce Liu, principal at Dawn Capital, Steli FD, CEO of Close.io, Patrick Campbell, CEO of ProfitWell, amongst others. Join them on May the 23rd. See more info and tickets at sasdoc.com forward slash on tour. Now on with the show. Uh, welcome to the SAS Revolution show. Marta Sjogren, uh, partner at Northzone. Welcome, Marta. Thanks for having me, Alex. That's uh, it, it's a real pleasure. So, am I, uh, am I speaking to you? Are you in Stockholm today? Yes, I'm in my office in Stockholm for a change. Okay, very cool. You enjoying the sunny weather that we're having here in the UK? I can't complain, frankly. I, I don't want to jinx it, but uh, it's been it's been pretty pretty awesome. Okay, good, good stuff. Yeah, no, we've had just had an awesome weekend now. Um, Marta, uh, tell us a little bit um, uh, about yourself. Uh, you know, who who is Marta Sjögren? Um, so I am an investor with Northstone. Uh, I've been with the fund for just, uh, uh, just shy of six years. Um, I actually started off as, well, we didn't really have junior titles back then, but I was uh, kind of 
an associate investor manager, all sorts of uh, things uh, at once. We were a very small team back then, um, and and I supported the partners with whatever needed to be done. And then over time, my role grew into um, uh, managing and owning more of the, um, the the process around investment, and then the relationship with the entrepreneurs and LPs and similars. And now I, I work with a handful of primarily B two B companies uh, across the Nordics, and then there's a couple in the US. Uh, well, the, the tour Nordic to begin with, obviously. Um, I am a mother of two. I moved to Sweden some nine years ago, and this is my eighth country. Um, before most, most recently, before this, I was in London with another fund actually called DN Capital for for a few years, and and there I focused on digital media and uh, and fintech primarily. Okay, very um, cool. Uh, you, you, so, so you moved to Sweden. Um, uh, you, you've got a, a Nordic sounding uh, uh, name. I was going to say surnames, but so so you're not Swedish. Well, I mean, it's it's a definition question, right? I, yeah. I have a Swedish passport. I speak pretty fluent Swedish, I would dare say now. Um, uh, but my parents are originally from ex-Yugoslavia, from Croatia and Serbia. Um, and, you know, during the 90s, there was a, a bit of a, a war there. So mm-hmm. we, we actually didn't live there much uh, uh, before or after, but we lived there just about during the war. <laughs> and then my parents decided there was probably a, a good time for us to move in 94. Uh, so we finally left uh, left Yugoslavia in 94 and have been moving around and being true European, Europeans, as I would uh, dare to call us. Okay. Uh, then. And, and, and have you always, so you mentioned DN Capital was, uh, you know, one of the earlier um, uh, fund or VCs that you work with. Uh, have you always been uh, uh, an, an investor or were you uh, an entrepreneur before or what were you doing before you became an investor? No, so I, so I have a very unusual background in that I entered the VC career um, pretty much straight out of school. I did a, a few um, um, a, a large scale consulting projects and decided that management consulting is not for me. Uh, and then decided to do what I thought would be just an internship in VC to learn about it. Cause I knew nothing about tech, but I knew that it was a fast way to change the world. And then, um, then, you know, what is it? Nine, nearly 10 years later, I'm still here. Uh, so it's been an, a, 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 an exponential learning curve for me and one that I definitely didn't see coming. And before this, I was a, a researcher, so, so I was uh, pretty good at asking a lot of questions. And, and North Zone, um, so uh, tell us a little bit about North Zone. You, you know, where, where does North Zone invest? You know, how large is the fund? Who are some of the portfolio companies? Absolutely. So Norsons, this is actually not very well known, but we're one of the oldest European VCs. Uh, we're 23 years old and we were started pretty much exactly the t- same time as our friends at Index, um, but up here in the Nordics. And for the first 17, 18 years of the fund, we were very Nordic focused. We expanded very slowly from Oslo, where we're originally from, into Stockholm, then into Copenhagen. And then from then, pretty much around the time when I joined, we op- opened up our London office because we realized that, you know, our competition wasn't necessarily in the Nordics. It was coming from London for all the Series A's and Series B's. And we figured that it makes sense for us to expand there to, to keep our you know minds fresh and our networks uh, active and, and similar. So now that's actually our biggest office with, um, I think it's, 12 people in total. Um, aside from that, we have, of course, here in Stockholm, we have four people and we have Oslo with uh, three. And then we most recently opened up New York uh, some f- 
three and a half years ago. Um, and then even more recently, we opened up Berlin, um, which was, I think, just a couple of months ago, really. Uh, and in New York, we have about four people. And in Berlin, just just my partner, Mikhail. Um, and Northstone is a fund with uh, just under a, a billion and a half dollars under management. Uh, that's over eight funds. Our first couple of funds were very, very small. Uh, you know, humble beginnings. I think it was like 10 and $12 million, the first two funds. And then they grew quite a bit with each fund. So this is actually our biggest fund, which is at 350 million euros. Um, and that was raised in 2016. Uh, and the mandate is to invest in uh, early stage companies in our hubs and in, and across our verticals. And the verticals change over funds, but we have a couple that we think we know pretty well, which is media. And within media, well, we call it media, but it's actually consumer internet. It's anything to do between gaming, video, music, you know, whatever. And then the surrounding ecosystem, which is marketing technology, ad tech, and similar. Then we have a um, pretty strong fintech practice. Uh, and fintech for us includes even things like security. Um, around you know, transactions and similar. We are just dabbling with blockchain, so you, we, can, we can't quite talk about it as yet, but uh, we're starting to learn about it. And then we have uh, e-commerce and the remainder of uh, software as a service. Um, given that our biggest winner to begin to, to uh, from from the early days was a company called Stepstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you recall. Well, I mean, of course, they still exist, but they were they were the I think they were the first uh, internet uh, unicorn in Europe. Um, uh, back in in the nineties, uh, we sat on the board there for I think over ten years or something. Um, so we developed kind of a strong uh, HR tech practice. So within SaaS, I'd say we spend um, a disproportionate amount of time in HR tech than than most things. Who, who are some of the other notable companies that uh, that you work with? Uh, let's say specifically around the, the SaaS space uh, that I personally work with. Oh, well, North, North Zone, you, uh, a bit of you and a, and a bit of North Zone, perhaps uh, some that um, you know our listeners would know. Yeah, sure. So, oh, let's see. Um, we have some seventy companies on portfolio right now. So, where actually, where where do you think most of the listeners come from? So I can. Well, I, I, I think about fifty percent of our, our listeners are, uh, are US based, and, and then we, we we have probably about thirty forty percent in uh, in Europe. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I guess some of the, the maybe the, the the larger, more well known um, SaaS companies. Um, thinking maybe oh. the likes of Trustpilot, I think is one. Right? Yeah, I think I think the biggest one right now in SaaS is actually uh, Trustpilot for us. Uh, then we have companies like Happy or Not and Personio. Um, we have Zervant uh, over in 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 uh, fintech. We had uh, Toby until very recently, but of course that's that's uh, we, we've exited that recently. And I guess the other big ones are Izettle um, and um, uh, let me see what else in in the sauce. Izettle, uh, Trustpilot. Um, f- uh, Freight Hub, uh, one, one of the more recent ones. And then you have a whole bunch of kind of consumer-facing SaaS businesses, I guess, um, like Spotify, uh, Soundtrack Your Brand is a B2B SaaS, uh, Fubo and similar. So, so a lot of subscription-based businesses for on the, on the consumer front. Awesome. And, and you, you, you mentioned Spotify there. Um, of course, uh, I think, well, clearly they, they've uh, just recently gone through their, their IPO and um, kind of did it their way, but have been, you know, very successful and perhaps, uh, um, I don't know, one of the, the, the breakout European, uh, you know, consumer 
uh, SaaS companies of, uh, you, you know, sort of recent times, right? Um, I, I mean, a ph- phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, it's a bit early to say that word, a ph- phenomenal uh, uh, company, right? Uh, also based in, uh, in, in, in Stockholm, or the, the, the HQ was. Um, so look, maybe if you, if you don't mind, um, we t- talk a little bit about what we can learn uh, from Spotify. Whilst they're not, um, you know, B2B SaaS, I think there's a lot of learnings for, for B2B companies or any company that, that, that we can learn from Spotify. Are you happy to answer like a few questions uh, uh, about yeah, well, them? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously the caveat is that Spotify is not one of my investments. Um, it's my, my colleague PJ that runs that one. But of course, it's been a, a, a massive success for not just us, but I think for, for the European ecosystem, something that's been much needed here in terms of maturing the ecosystem. Um, you know, so, so Spotify, we invested in 2007, I believe, uh, or at least I'm looking at, at their deck here in front of me from their Series A, which is from 2007. I wish I could show it to you, but I think yeah. they might, might, might not be that happy. How, how, uh, much, how much did they raise for their Series A? Uh, they raised eight. Okay. Um, and before that, they had put in a bunch of money themselves as well. Um, and they had a very, very fast path from Series A to Series B. So mm-hmm. I would say that within the first uh, three years, they raised about just shy of uh, 25 million. Um, so that was that was kind of a, a fast journey. But, you know, that that's one where... where um, the fundamentals were uh, very crucial to to us making that bet and leading that round. Uh, the company only had you know a handful of users. They had a few thousand users in in Sweden and obviously no revenues. So we really needed to make a bet on the addressable market and the user behavior. We look at you know cohorts in in uh, a lot of depth when we make investments. And I I recall um, you know my, my PJ my colleague PJ uh, telling me about the intensity of the usage patterns that he saw amongst a few kind of core u- uh, audiences. And Sweden is a very homogenous market, so it's a great test bed for all sorts of products, B2B and B2C. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so what he was betting on is that if this was taking off like it was in Sweden with you know, relatively little capital and definitely no marketing, um, very much word of mouth driven, that you can make a bet that on a global scale, you could make a pretty decent business. Um, so that was, that was, you know, the first, uh, few years, they didn't have the music licensing. They didn't, you know, there was a, a lot of questions that there were huge risks to be taken, but the user behavior was there from day to, from day one. So they knew how to, how to think about, you know, spending money on, on acquisition going forward. Uh, and, and so that, that's an interesting point. So if, if there are um, maybe some founders of uh, uh, um, SaaS companies that are that are listening that maybe are just focused on one particular market at the moment, but they see, you know, a really strong sort of word of mouth, uh, you know, driving their, their growth within that market, you know, would uh, would you say then that that's a good time then for, for them to start thinking about if, if they want to go big, you know, raising capital, uh, and, and, and really, uh, I guess, kind of like, you know, going, uh, you, know, you know, to try and become the, uh, like a, a market leading company like Spotify. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that that's a great idea. I think um, um, the SaaS journey is uh, long and, uh, and uh, usually kind of um, uh, the, not a straight line, right? Uh, and you need to figure out when to push the, the, the pedal to the metal uh, and when to really focus on the fundamentals and and build a strong base. And I think one of the core learnings there is that 
Nordic companies, we call them um, uh, born global or, or, or something similar okay. because they use, you know, their, their first step is usually to just test the product and really, really polish that product. It's strong product culture um, out here and only then start expanding as opposed to commercial aggressively uh, building commercial operations beyond uh, a small low cost base market and then seeing that the product market is not the product market fit is not really there and then having to scale back so so i think that's kind of the biggest learning is that um it it pays off to know what your product market fit is at a low cost base and then start you know fully expanding outside of it so speaking of being, you know being born global so when uh, spotify launched you know, was the, the the product and the website, you know, in English from day one or, or was it in Swedish because it was just serving the Swedish market initially? So so I'm pretty sure that it was English from day one or if not yeah. day one, day two. Um, but I remember I was, I, I, I think I was within the first uh, couple of thousand users um, and I wasn't living in Sweden at the time and it was in, in English definitely back then. I mean, it's a very strong um, Anglophone culture that we have here. Sure. Um, so you, you rarely see, you know, pitch decks or anything like that in, in, uh, non-English. Um, it rarely happens. If it does happen, then, um, there is usually a, a good reason for it. What, what about, um, uh, you know, I think like, uh, pricing and packaging, you know, positioning of Spotify has always been like excellent. Right. And, and, uh, you know, as a like a I guess company for for B two B two B SaaS startups to to look up to, you know, for inspiration. You know, what what are what why did they get it so right? You know, what are the things that we can perhaps sort of learn? Um, you, you know, from what Spotify have done around pricing uh, and packaging. Um, yeah, I think there are a couple of things. Um, one is is uh, figuring out who your immediate audience or your, your immediate addressable market is, and then only then expanding from it and understanding that you might need to cater to uh, different populations or audiences uh, in different pricing models. You know, there's been everything from the family pack, of course, sorry, from the free to the premium and then within premium, all the developments around students, catering to them, making sure it can that they can afford it and really get that user behavior going so that when they become young professionals, then they can graduate into the premium um, subscription uh, agreements. Uh, and then there was the family package. And then there's all sorts of kind of, um, they, they've done an amazing job with partnering with a whole host of uh, other services to really kind of get those, those user user numbers growing. Um, a guy called Alex Nordstrom uh, definitely de- deserves a, um, a uh, shout out here because he, he's been very, very um, uh, key to the premium business growing in very smart distribution ways. So I think it's the two core lessons is know who your immediate addressable market is mm-hmm. and then find the next steps out, um, you know, uh, in, in a logical order. Um, and then from there, develop pricing, develop a go-to-market so it's the most efficient uh, possible way. And uh, any uh, sort of additional uh, sort of learnings and lessons in the way that they they've scaled um, that we can that we can learn from you know as uh, let's say a growth stage you, you know to, to scaling stage SaaS company uh, obviously um, you know Spotify being born global from day one but then now truly are you know this this sort of global uh, you know behemoth um, how they managed to get it right. I mean, again, uh, speaking from 
you know, not having been in the boardroom like my mm-hmm. colleague Perry Jürgen has for 10 years. Um, what I can say is that they did a good job empowering um, teams to make their own choices and to, to really kind of grow within the overall roadmap of the company, but be empowered to just move fast, move fast and break things. And, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but at least you have a, a really strong culture of, you know, fast performance. For a while, they had this, um, I forget what it was called. I think it was called like tribes or something, uh, function around particularly the product and, and development teams where the, um, uh, the 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 development cycles end up decreasing quite a quite a bit. Uh, for a while, that worked for them because they were growing by like hundreds of people um, uh, each month. I believe um, that that it made sense to kind of have those people be onboarded as fast as possible. And you know, uh, same goes with many SaaS companies. Once you you know start getting to those monthly uh, recurring revenue numbers that that attract. Uh, growth investors and you start raising those large rounds you know scaling is not easy that's that's the one learning that that we have uh we um uh we've seen it with a bunch of our companies is that you know you 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 get that money in, in the bank account and you're like okay what now uh, so it's all about making sure that you've prepared to scale uh, that you have the right people that can onboard people and then equally offboard them when they're not working out. So you don't have this like behemoth of, a, of an organization that just kind of is, is dependent on a couple of core people. Picking up on something that you, you, you sort of mentioned that, oh, well, it, it just sort of triggered something in my mind that, um, so you, <clears throat> when, when a, a SaaS company or, you know, any company has raised, you know, a significant round and they, they either have that 10 million, you know, series A in the, in the bank or, you know, 30 million series B, you as an investor expect that, you know, obviously they've come in with the pitch deck and now they've got to go out and execute against the plan and you expect them to spend this money. And would you be happy if they like, you know, in six months they say, well, we've still got the money in the bank. Um, You know, what's your stance on that? Because I've actually read like recently, not naming any names, but, you know, companies that have raised, you, you know, a number of rounds, they say, well, you know, we haven't really, we've still got this money in the bank, right? And it's like, yeah. oh, okay, well, what were you supposed to do with that money? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that, frankly, that is an, uh, an investor's dream uh, because that means that they're growing from revenues mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, just investing into growth. Um, and that's, that's largely beneficial. You know, one of my portfolio companies, uh, happy or not that, that, uh, we touched on earlier on, um, they, you know, they raised from us when they were profitable, they had always been profitable and they're still profitable. So they don't, they haven't touched any of the money that we put in and that, you know, what we're saying with those kinds of companies that you're building up a war chest so that, you know, you might go out on an acquisition spree or you might kind of um, bulk up your, your, your key, key markets or similar, but it is really a couple of bets that you place that you wouldn't be able to do from your own, you know, cash flow. Um, so, so that's, that's the, that's the big bet there. there. Gotcha. Uh, that's a nice segue into, uh, to one of your, so from, uh, one of North's um, you, you know, well-known portfolio companies, Spotify that you didn't personally invest in, but obviously know a lot about 
to a company that you have invested in, uh, which is a SaaS company, happy or not, um, you, you'll actually uh, um, uh, be speaking with the, the CEO of Happy or Not at, at SaaStock Helsinki on, uh, on May the 23rd, which uh, I'm excited to, uh, uh, to, to see and, and, and listen to that talk. Uh, what is it that's interesting about Happy or Not? What will you be talking about um, you, you know, in that particular uh, session at, at SaaStock Helsinki? Yeah, I mean, super excited to be there. Thanks so much for inviting us. We'll uh, we'll try to share the story, which I think is pretty unique um, and one that's uh, that certainly has captured the interest of both everyone within my own team and and uh, a number of other investors involved. Um, so, Happy or Not is a company I think can easily be underrated. Um, they have these like smiley buttons uh, that uh, you know at the face of it look like really dumb data and wonder well, who on earth would pay for this. And that's literally how I found them because I wanted to know who on earth pays for this and what is this company and why, why am I pressing the buttons? Yeah. Um, and uh, what, what Happynote does is that it sells um, uh, data on the basis of foot traffic effect, kind of um, interacting with your day-to-day operations. So as opposed to big data companies that that do a, you know, a, a ton of analysis around whatever patterns are out there. Uh, Happy or not just focuses on the data that you can see day to day affect your operations and that you can change your operations around. Happy or not is, is uh, a hardware based software first business um, that, that sells to its customers a way of tracking uh, NPS in a fundamentally dynamic and novel way. Um, and what's really special about it is that it's actually extremely ingrained into operations of large chains that need to figure out how to be data-driven in a, in a digital-first world where they're competing against, uh, you know, uh, retail, online retailers and all sorts of online sales um, engines to, to track customers in usually not really anonymized ways, whereas Happy Not is pure, you know, purely anonymized, but it gives you a really good indication of how your business is working and what you need to make as, as changes. And to me, the really, the really big selling point was when I started talking to their customers. I spoke to 16 out of their 20 biggest customers that, that stand for about 30% of the revenues um, and saw how how the customers were basically hacking their way into uh, using the software to compare things like sales to customer happiness, or you know, stock to customer happiness, or or even um, uh, payroll to to uh, the results around around the scheduling of people who are working on the ground. Um, and I realized that this is extremely valuable data to companies that need to 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 figure out how to optimize their operations in real-life environments. Um, and what's really special about them, in addition to this, is that they've been organically financed today, well, un- until uh, Airtree and, and us came in, um, and and have really grown this amazing uh, reseller network that stands for a big percentage of their revenues and are thus in 116 or 117 countries around the world. Um, so, So the exciting thing now is with what is it, like uh, $13, $14 million in the bank, uh, what are some of the big bets that we're taking over the coming couple of years to really um, to really cement their position as a leader in this market? Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to, to, to learning more about that. And certainly, you know, topics about 
you know, building reseller networks is, um, you, know, you know, I think extremely interesting and, uh, you, you know, just in general kind of, you know, organic growth, uh, getting to the point where, you, you know, you're in that position where you, you can raise this war chest. So uh, super interesting. And, you, you know, it's funny because obviously I think many people – We'll, we'll probably have seen those smiley faces or not smiley faces around every airport that they, they travel in, not, not necessarily realise that it's happy or not, uh, you, you know, which is the company uh, behind it. But uh, I, I, I saw them uh, and, and took a nice photo and tweeted it on Thursday uh, when I was in, in Dublin Airport as I was coming out the toilet and they were, uh, they were the faces, are you happy with these facilities? And uh, um, yeah, so it's, um, it, it's quite funny to... to to come and see the the, the company uh, behind that and know that it's a it's a SaaS company. When, as you say, you kind of you, you see these this hardware plastic faces and uh, the, there's a SaaS you know behind it. So uh, super interesting. And uh, as we, we come to the end of the show uh, now, Marta, um, just to, you, you know wrapping up with uh, with yourself, you know, be, being a, a, a VC, um, you, you know, uh, many of the VCs that, that that I speak to, traveling all the time. Uh, receiving hundreds of thousands of emails, you, you know, per uh, per day or, or, or week, uh, and, and it seems to be, you know, quite a, a full-on, uh, you know, sort of very, uh, you know, busy lifestyle. I mean, you, you know, with all the portfolio companies that you manage and being on call on, you know, different time zones. So, so how do you, how do you stay, uh, you, you know, healthy and sane, uh, you, you know, as a VC ten years into your journey? Oh wow, uh, that's quite a question. Um... I think my my survival uh, my propensity for survival I think has increased tremendously with each of my uh, two kids that I've had in the past few years. Before that, I you know I would do a lot of uh, all nighters and continue traveling sort of without reaching my home, probably even a couple of nights uh, a month. Now it's very much about um, juggling it all, uh, making sure that that I'm both you know mentally and physically healthy is is really really important. And I keep myself, you know, um, uh, up to date with with reading and with listening to, you know, podcasts and audiobooks. My biggest hack has actually been audiobooks. Uh, now I get through a couple of books a week, uh, which which is um, which is great because I I just couldn't do that as the pace of uh, of motherhood and VChood <laughs> sort of uh, exponentially grew at the same time. Um, so that's that's my biggest uh, tip, and then making sure that that I'm uh, very close to the entrepreneurs that, that we back so as to know kind of what's happening with them. And, and it really is about, you know, the, um, the empathy element as well. Um, you know, we all go through our, our ups and downs and I think it's important to be able to talk about things and know where you have people and, and also know, let them know where they have you. Awesome. Well, thanks for that, Marta. Um, you, you know, learned a lot today speaking with you. You've been a great guest. Um, looking forward to meeting in person at Sastock Helsinki, May the 23rd, and listen, learning more about the Happy or Not story. Um, so uh, uh, thank you once again, Marta Sjögren, partner at Northzone. Thank you, Alex, for having me, and thank you for having us. Take care. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show and have picked up valuable lessons from Marta Sjögren and Spotify's experience. To hear more about Happy or Not's fascinating story and building a hardware-first SaaS company organically, join us at our next SaaS Stock on Tour Stop in Helsinki on May the 23rd. Find out more at sasdoc.com forward slash on tour. Thanks for listening. See you next time.